Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Crazy Happy. In this series, we'll journey through Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, and discover the keys to finding the deep happiness we all crave. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you'll leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Does your world feel like it's upside down? What would it take to make you truly happy? Is it simply about having a good job? A big house? Losing 10 pounds? Or being in a fulfilling relationship? Did you know that God wants you to be happy? Not the world's version of happiness. What if it's not about the contents of your bank account? but the contents of your heart. What if it's not about what you can do, but what God can do through you? God wants you to have a blessed life. God wants you to be crazy happy. All right, what's up, everybody? Hey, welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. Let's give a big welcome to our live locations, everybody at Church Online. What's up, guys? Glad you could join us for our spring series, Crazy Happy. We've been going verse by verse through the Beatitudes, and this is our next to last week, but I want you to mark your calendar. On Sunday, June 6th, I've got a big announcement, I mean major update, about the reopening plan for all liquid campus. I can't give you the details today, except I can tell you this. We had two amazing surprises happen during this pandemic, which are going to result in two new permanent homes for campuses. So just mark your calendar. It's Sunday, June 6th. I'm going to give you all the details. I think you're going to be blown away uh, to hear how God's been working behind the scenes and what he's positioning us to do as we come out of this pandemic. Uh, I really believe, church, with Jesus, the best is yet to come. Amen. Make some noise if you believe it. We believe it. Well, today, listen, I'm going to teach you today one of the most important skills you can ever have in life. This is not something they teach you in school. Probably didn't teach it to you in college. And most likely, honestly, your parents didn't teach you how to do this because probably nobody taught them. And that skill is how to fix a broken relationship. How do you repair or reconcile a relationship that is uh, strained or maybe estranged? It's, it's been broken. Guys, this is one of the most important skills you will ever need in life if you're going to be crazy happy. Now, where'd we get that from? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus outlined eight keys to living a crazy happy life. We call them the Beatitudes, right? These beautiful attitudes that Jesus says God blesses. And today we come to the the next to last Beatitude. This is Matthew 5 verse 9 in which Jesus said these words. I want to read these out loud together. Big loud voice. Here we go, church. Ready? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In other words, The proof that you're a child of God, the evidence that you're on your way to heaven, is that you are a peacemaker. You know how to resolve conflict. And the truth is, if you don't know how to navigate conflict, let me tell you, you ain't going to be crazy happy. You're going to be crazy miserable. (laughs) This applies to all of us because we all have relational conflict in our lives and our families. In fact, I'm kind of curious. You guys know about the, the story behind Adidas and Puma sneaker brands? Those sneaker heads here, okay? There, you may not know, there was a famous family feud that most millennials don't know about. Adidas and Puma were founded by two German brothers by the names of Adi and Rudy Dossler. 
I'm going to keep their picture up there. They started the shoe company in 1924 in their mother's laundry room. And Adi is actually the designer, and Rudy was the salesman. And they were the first athletic company to screw spikes onto track shoes. That was their innovation. And Jesse Owens used them in the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. Well, overnight, their little family company exploded, began selling millions of athletic shoes. But during World War II, this relationship rift opened up between the two brothers. Anybody have a fight with their brother or sister, right? Some historians say, you know, it was probably their wives who actually started feuding. But apparently these small little family slights blew up into major resentments. And so Adi and Rudy actually stopped speaking to each other. And shortly after, they broke up the family business. And so each brother set up their own factory on opposite sides of the river that ran through the middle of their small German town. And Adi, his name was Adolf, actually. They called him Adi. He named his new company Adi Das. It's his first and last name, Adi Dossler. And Rudy tried a similar combo with Ruda, but then felt Puma sounded a little bit more athletic. <laughs> and what's amazing is that the beef between these two brothers split the whole town in two. Nearly everybody, because a small village, worked for Adidas or Puma. And so Puma employees were forbidden from dating or marrying the Adidas workers. Shopkeepers, butchers, and barbers would actually ban customers if you wore a rival sneaker from entering. They'd say, you're wearing Adidas. Get out of my shop. That tradition exists today. You can still visit the village. And that feud lasted over 60 years, split the town in two. Isn't that amazing? A beef between two brothers is the story behind $2 billion sneaker brands. Adidas and Puma are now second and third to Nike in global sales. Now, if you're a sneakerhead, you're geeking out, you're like, that's so cool. Yeah, that's the good news. Um, here's the tragic news. The brothers never spoke again. They never reconciled. Both men died in the 1970s and were buried at opposite ends of the local cemetery in Germany. I want you to catch this. These brothers knew how to make billions of dollars selling sneakers, but didn't know how to reconcile their relationship. So let me start with this question. Who do you have conflict with? Like, like maybe, there's a, maybe there's a feud with somebody in your family, or maybe a business partner, or a colleague at work. Listen, as we open God's word today, I want you to kind of right now just bring a single face to mind, maybe somebody with whom things are kind of crunchy, like there's a little bit of friction, you know, like there's conflict or, or there's just a gap in the relationship. Uh, maybe you had a falling out with your dad or your mom or a brother or sister. Again, maybe it's somebody at school or, or you're a parent and you, you're like, I got conflict with one of my kids. Or there's conflict in your marriage or, or tension with your ex. And you're like, I, I don't know how to resolve that. Is there a broken relationship in your life? What I'm going to teach you today is directly from God's word. So I want you to keep that person's face in your mind as we go into God's word, all right? Jesus makes this promise. He says, listen, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I notice and I love that Jesus says peacemakers, not peacekeepers, because there's a big difference. A peacekeeper, it's like the United Nations, right? You ever see the UN uh, peacekeepers? They wear the blue helmets, right? They deploy them into kind of war-torn regions. They step between nations. They say, hey, enough, guys. Stop trying to kill each other, right? We're here to keep the peace. Let things cool off. Just stop, stop the fighting. And peacekeeping is vital in our world. But it's not the same as peacemaking. Peacekeeping is passive. Stop doing something. But peacemaking is active. You don't just stop hurting each other. You take active steps to repair or restore the relationship. 
And Jesus says, that's what God's after. Blessed are the peacemakers because it shows you're actually a child of God. So I want to be very clear to start here. Peacemaking is not avoiding and it's not appeasing. You may want to take notes today. Some people think, you know, I, 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 Tim, I know how to have peace in my home. I just don't rock the boat. <laughs> I, I just let everything slide, man. Just like sweep it under the rug. Just grin and bear it. That's not peacemaking. That's called cowardice. Peacemaking isn't avoiding or running from the problem. It's also not appeasing the other person. Appeasing means you always give in, right? They always get their way. That's not peacemaking. That's called codependency. <laughs> Jesus Christ never backed down from a conflict. And he showed how to deal with it head on in order to repair and reestablish the relationship. Now, don't tune me out yet because I know what some of you are thinking. That doesn't mean you get back together with your ex. It means you bury the hatchet. You, you actually make peace and the hurt feelings are no longer there. There's actually a level of healing. You may not see eye to eye, but you can, you can actually walk hand in hand. It doesn't happen magically. You know, I hear all this all the time. People are like, you know, I love what the Bible says, Tim. Time heals all wounds. Okay, first off, uh, it's not a Bible verse. <laughs> it's not a magnet. Uh, secondly, baloney. Okay, if you have a broken relationship, let me tell you something. Very few wounds spontaneously heal over time. <laughs> if someone stabs you in the side, like, just give it time. No, they often fester and get worse. So you have to take intentional action steps if you're going to be a peacemaker like Jesus. Again, what you're about to learn from God's word, I'm going to save you thousands of dollars in counseling, okay? So I want you to take notes today. I actually listed all these scriptures, the steps in our mobile app, because God outlines here, and Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, he amplifies this, six steps to fix a broken relationship. And I want you to think about that person in your life who things are strained with. Jesus is calling you, challenging you to make peace with them. Even if you're not in a conflict right now, you're going to need this at some point. Because nobody in the world is teaching how to resolve conflict biblically. You ready for the six steps? Here we go. Step number one, if you want to be a peacemaker like Jesus, you've got to make the first move. Say that with me. Make the... You don't wait on the other person. You take the initiative. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, but Tim, no, no, listen, you my situation. It was all their fault, man. Listen, if they come to me, I, maybe I would deal with it. No, no, no. God says, as my child, I expect you to take the first step. Listen to how Jesus explains this process in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, verses 23 through 24. It says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that someone has something against you. Notice it doesn't say, if you've got something against them. It says, you remember they got something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First what? Say it together, church. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, can we just have an honest moment? Show of hands. How many of you have ever had an argument with somebody in the car on the way to church? Can we just thank you? The rest of you are liars. Most of us, right? I've had this many times. Jesus is saying it would actually be better if you sat in the car in the parking lot and worked out that conflict than for you to come in and hear me teach. Jesus says reconciliation takes priority over worship. It's that important to God. So if there's conflict in your life, he's like, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled. Then, then you come and offer your gift. Underline first go. In other words, you make the first move. So right now, like even as, if, if you get up while I'm teaching today, no one's going to wonder why. They're going to be like, got it, man. 
They're going to work an issue out with somebody. But, but notice it does say leave your offering. So you leave your offering first here. And then, and then you can't just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What's the point? Christ followers don't procrastinate. We don't make excuses. You know, I know this is hard because some of you have been in conflict with somebody for weeks, maybe months or, or even years, maybe even decades. And, and, and maybe you said, you know, I'm just going to kind of, you know, move on, let it slide, pretend like it's no big deal, you know. I'm not, spe- yeah, I'm not speaking with my brother anymore, or, you know, I'm estranged from my whoever. And Jesus says, no, no, don't do that. You have no idea how much damage that's doing to you spiritually. You may be like, well, what do you mean, Tim? Did you know the Bible says conflict actually blocks your fellowship with God? The reality is you can't be right with God when you're wrong with other people, right? The, the vertical, the horizontal relationships in your life, they're connected. Listen to how 1 John puts it. 1 John 4 says this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? A liar. (laughs) For if we don't love people, we can see. How do you love God who you can't see? He's saying, hey, you can't say, hey, me and God are like this when me and her are like this. (laughs) We're, We're distant. We're disconnected. But I'm really close with Jesus. It's impossible. You're lying to yourself. Conflict blocks your fellowship with God because, you know, here's why. The Bible says conflict actually blocks your prayers from being answered. Did you know that? The Bible actually says when your relationships are out of whack, God doesn't respond to your prayers. Married men, if you're a husband here today, you want to see a scary verse? 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Why? so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That scary verse. The guys are like, I'm not writing that down. Because <laughs> you're like, Pastor Tim, are you telling me that if I've got a beef with my wife, I'm not treating her with respect, God doesn't hear my prayers? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. The Bible says there's a direct connection between the horizontal and the vertical relationships in your life. You know this from personal experience, guys. You can't be crazy happy when your relationships suck, right? You know this. You, you can't be the richest person. You can, you can be the most famous celebrity, the richest person on the planet, but if your key relationships stink, guess what? Life stinks. Just ask Bill Gates. Billionaire Bill, richest man in the world. The guy is out solving global problems, but he can't solve his own at home. Just got divorced. All the money in the world can't fix that. He's miserable. You can't be crazy happy or close to God if you've got conflict in your house. So married folks, if there's hurt in your home, you need to make the first move. Don't let it linger. You know, I'll just tell you, be honest. Um, this took me a long, I wish I had learned this early in a marriage. Early in the marriage, I ducked and dodged conflict, you know? <laughs> it's like Colleen, like, you know, threw an issue at me. I was like, whoa, I was like the major, and it's like, fly. I don't, I didn't know how to make peace. Think of it this way. In every relationship, there are skunks and there are turtles. In other words, when they get upset, skunks just stink the place up, right? If you're the skunk in the relationship and there's a problem, everybody's going to know about it. (laughs) But turtles, on the other hand, they pull their head into their shell when there's a problem. Now, here's the principle. Skunks always marry turtles. Almost always. 
The couples, which one are you? If one of you is a skunk and the other is a turtle, you're, you're waiting on the other to respond? Listen, peacemakers actually make the first move. You make the first move by scheduling a peace conference. Again, you guys know the United Nations, right? They hold peace conferences. They're trying, to, they're trying to schedule one right now for Israel and the Palestinians who are at each other's necks. They're in conflict. But you ask God to give you the courage to schedule a peace conference with that person, and you find a time that's good for them. Not when it's convenient for you, not when you're tired, but you schedule a peace conference when there's actually time to talk, when you can come prayed up, filled with the Holy Spirit beforehand, and here's the key. You're like, Tim, I, what do you do? You start with what's your fault. Second step. You never stop, start with what they did wrong. You start with what's my fault. All, you don't say, hey, I want to get together with you because I have a number of things. You did this and this and this and that. If you're a peacemaker, you start with what's actually my fault. Now understand, the conflict may be 99% their fault, but you can always find something to confess. You, you unless you're Jesus. <laughs> You can find something that was your mistake. Even if it was like, your, you may have wronged you, but maybe it was your poor response. Maybe you got defensive or you pulled away or you're like, you know, I didn't really want to actually have conflict, so I stuck my head in like a turtle. And you begin your peace talks by humbly confessing what was your fault. Instead of attacking or blaming them, you first confess, hey, here's what's going on in the inside of me. Again, in the book of James, the Bible asks this question. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from all the selfish jerks around you? No, it doesn't say that. It says they come from what? The evil desires at war within you. You, you, you want what you don't have, and so you scheme to get it. See, the war you're actually having with them is actually raising, raging inside of you. Here's the battleground right here. See, when my heart is surrendered to the Holy Spirit of Jesus, I'll just tell you honestly, like almost nothing ticks me off. But when I'm filled with my flesh, <laughs> my ego, man, my pride, my self-centeredness, almost anything <laughs> lights my rocket. You do the smallest thing and you can hurt my feelings like, like that. So it all depends on what's operating inside of you. Is the Holy Spirit of Christ or is it your flesh? See, the real source of stress in your life isn't all the, the jerks you work with. <laughs> it's your flesh saying, I want what I want when I want it. And if her desires bump up against mine, we got a problem. We're going to butt heads. Listen, I've talked to and I've done many, many hundreds of weddings and talked to couples who are moving towards divorce. Let me tell you the number one reason couples who are moving to divorce give, they said, we're just incompatible. Can I just tell you, there is no such thing as incompatibility. That is a term made up by divorce attorneys to justify it. We are all incompatible because we're all different. N nobody's exactly like you. So we are always going to have different opinions and desires. Let, let me tell you, if incompatibility was an excuse, then exhibit A are Tim and Colleen Lucas. We are, we are the exact opposite in just about every DNA cell in our body, okay? I like the outdoors. She likes them all. She has high emotions. I'm a little bit flatter. She likes cold. I like it colder. <laughs> We're on opposite extremes in every area. We've got, when we got together, it was like we had different families, different backgrounds, different temperaments. But let me tell you something. The marriages that are the hardest are the people who are too much alike. Because after a while, they just get bored <laughs> with each other. 
And the greater the differences in your marriage, the greater potential you'll have for growth. Catch this? I'm going to say this again. The greater differences in your marriage, the greater your potential for growth. Because the primary purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy. To make you more like Jesus. So I look at this, I'm like, man, I've learned more from my wife than any other person in the world. Because she's so different from, than me than anybody else. You can learn from anybody if you're willing to be humble. So I just want to puncture that for you. It's not about incompatibility. It's about maturity. Am I willing to grow up? Am I willing to, to be flexible? Am I willing to be unselfish? Or would I rather say, you know what? No, let the relationship die rather than do that. Listen, it's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than dissolve a relationship. Kyle and I had so many problems uh, in the early years of marriage. Um, I'd be honest, I think we'd be divorced today if it wasn't for Jesus. Like, I, I think about what might have happened if we threw in the towel in our early years. We, we wouldn't have these amazing kids that we have. Let, let me tell you something. This doesn't, keep, this doesn't work. None of us are here. There's no liquid church. Some of you would not be headed for heaven. <laughs> I think of the blessing that I would have missed if I had listened to my pride or Colleen had listened to hers. It's more rewarding to resolve a conflict than dissolve a relationship. So let me give you a secret. This, is a, this isn't even in the notes. This is a secret miracle sentence if you're in a logjam in your relationship. And it's not just for married people. If you're single, this works to fix the gap with a friend or diffuse conflict with a roommate. This is a secret sentence that will break the logjam in any relationship. Are you ready? You might get ready for it. Get ready. Brace yourself. Here it is. Ready? I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Can you say that with me, church? Let's practice that together. Ready? Here we go. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. I was being selfish. Can I ask, when was the last time you actually said those words to anybody in your life? Like, like, Do they get said in your home? Because it's a miracle sentence. You need to memorize it because when that person comes at you and you find yourself starting to get all defensive and you just actually say, I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Let me tell you what will happen if you say that. After your spouse wakes up from fainting, all the air will come out of that balloon. The conflict just loses steam. And you can say it with integrity because what you're doing is you're admitting, I have blind spots. That's the third step, Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount. Confess your blind spots. Now, what's a blind spot, right? It's a a weakness in your life that you just have a hard time seeing in yourself, right? Like normally we see the other person's faults in high depth. We're like, it's pretty obvious, man. Look at this. His fault's easy. He does this. He does this. And then my fault, well, I don't, you know, I mean, maybe there's something in there. I don't know. Look at Matthew 7. This is, again, Sermon in the Mount. Jesus amplifies this later in the sermon, okay? He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to what? The plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the what? The speck from your brother's eye. And this is funny, by the way. Jesus actually meant this as a joke. This is Hebrew humor. Now, nobody gets it here. I get that. Does anybody remember what Jesus did for a living? What was his trade? Well, how did he make a living? Anybody? Thank you, carpenter. Yes! <laughs> 
And he's actually, Jesus is actually doing a little stand-up here. I'm serious. When Jesus said this, his first century audience would have laughed out loud. We don't get it because we don't understand Hebrew humor. It's based on exaggeration and sarcasm and um, hyperbole. So when Jesus said, hey, um, you know, you got a conflict and stuff, before you get that little speck of sawdust out of her eye, hey, bro, why don't you take the telephone pole out of yours? <laughs> bro, you got like a plank eye. And people, people literally would have been like, <laughs> Lord, you're killing it. Jesus the carpenter, this guy's hilarious. We don't get it. He's using sarcasm to make a point. What's his point? Jesus is saying, you've got a major blind spot. You can't see the situation clearly. Because in an argument, what do we do? We tend to look, magnify their part, look at the plank in their eye. But then we minimize our own. I just got a little speck. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, if you want to be a peacemaker... You do the opposite. You first remove the plank from your eye. You say, you magnify, this is actually my part in the conflict. It's huge. And it will right-size theirs. So you don't start with their blind spots. I start by confessing mine. What does that look like? It's easy. Not easy. It takes time to think about it. You have to reflect. You just have to say, Holy Spirit, what's in me? And so I can say, you know, I just want to first begin by apologizing. I clearly miscommunicated. I have no doubt of that. Or, you know, I know I realized like I was so upset and angry. And I, I realized I had unrealistic expectations. I never even spoke to you. I just was assuming. <laughs> or I was being oversensitive. You have to do an honest searching. Like, what are my blind spots? And once you humbly confess them from the heart, you wrap the truth in love. Yes, the truth sets you free. But first, you got to wrap it in love. You got to say it with kindness. You got to say it with tact. You know, I hate when people say, oh, Tim, that, that's not me, man. I just tell it like it is. Can I tell you what that, that I just tell it like it is. That's Hebrew for I'm just a jerk. <laughs> it means you don't really want to reconcile. You just want to get something off your chest so you feel better, right? Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth, what? In love. So it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. So if you say it aggressively, guess what? It's going to be received defensively. Parents, the moment you start yelling at your kids, they do not hear a word you say. Believe me, I've done it. All they're hearing is emotion. And they will remember your emotion, not your words. It doesn't work. You can never use the truth. Come here. I'll just tell you, I just got it. Truth and love. Come here. And you club over the head with it. People receive it best when the truth is wrapped in love. I call it a truth burrito. You wrap it in love so people can hear it. You know, I was watching the news um, earlier this spring, and it was about spring break in Daytona. And uh, you guys saw it, right? All these college kids were just flocked down like they've been, you know, they've all been like cloistered up because of COVID. So they just like descended on Daytona, causing a whole ruckus. Um, they're partying, they're drinking on the beach. No one's wearing masks. It was a whole thing at the time, just raising holy hell. And I'm watching the news, and in this crowd of thousands of college kids is this guy holding up a giant yellow sign. And he's got a frown on his face, and I was like, oh, here we go. He's clearly a Christian because the sign says, repent or go to hell. You ever see those signs? It's so encouraging. I call them turn or burn, you'll die and fry while we go to the sky signs, okay? And so this guy's holding this thing up, and on one side it says, repent or go to hell. And watch this. The other side says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Here's the fact. 
Both of those are true. It's true. I do need to repent. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> I need to accept what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. But I guarantee you that not one person got saved on that beach that day. Not a single person. Why? Because they were speaking the truth, but they didn't wrap it in love. Does that make sense? It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. For instance, watch this. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, I remember memorizing this verse as a kid. All, let's say it together. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I could teach that to you right now in two different ways, right? I could shout it at you in anger. All have sinned, Kyra. Fallen short of the glory of God. I see you too, Abby. <laughs> and you'd go home today and you'd say, Tim yelled at me. I don't like that very much, right? Do you think that's how Jesus would read Romans 3? Ye yelling like he's happy people are going to hell? I don't think so. I think Jesus would say it with love. I think he'd say it with a broken heart. I, I, think, I think Jesus would, would sit down and, and look at our world and go, you know what, guys? Everybody's blown it. All of us have sinned. There's nobody who bats a thousand. Everyone's messed up. We, we, all, we all fall short of the glory of God. I, I think that's how he'd say it, with tenderness and with soft eyes and with compassion. You see the difference in that? Do you see the difference between liquid and some other churches? It's, this, it's the same truth, but it's wrapped in love, like a truth burrito. And after you share the hard truth with love, the next step is you fix the problem, not the blame. You attack the issue, not each other. You're both on the same team. The goal is to restore the relationship. Anytime you fix the blame, you're not fixing the problem. You want exhibit A? Look at Washington, D.C., <laughs> right? You guys know, man. The White House blames Congress for everything going wrong. Congress blames the president. The Senate blames the House. Nothing gets fixed. Why? <laughs> because you know how you spell blame? Be lame. Right now, everyone in Washington is being lame. They're squandering their energy, their influence, blaming each other. And as long as you're fixing the blame, you're not fixing the problem. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. This is one of the greatest verses on parenting, marriage, being a boss, being a friend that you can ever learn. Don't use harmful words. There are certain words that should be banned from your vocabulary. See, when you have conflict, you're going to argue, you're going to fight, but you have to fight fair and you have to actually ban certain words and say they're off limits. It's WMDs, words of mass destruction. You guys remember the Cold War, right, between the communist Soviet Union and like the capitalist West, you know, led by America? Even in the worst moments of the Cold War conflict, both sides said, you know what? Some weapons are off limits. We called them WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. Basically, the country said, hey, we may argue, we may fight, we have conflict, but neither of us is going to drop the atomic bomb because what was called MAD, M-A-D, mutually assured destruction. Both Soviet Union and America knew if one atomic bomb gets dropped, it is over for the whole world. Friends, you need to ban WMDs, words of mass destruction. Married folks need to ban it from your marriage. Parents need to ban it from your home. One of them is the threat of divorce. You got to just take that off the table. 
You got to close the escape hatch of the marriage, lock it, throw away the key and say, we're going to make this thing work if it kills us. You have to learn how to fight fair. And again, Bible is so practical. God is very, very specific about the kinds of words that are out of bounds for Christ followers. There's many verses. I'll give you one here in your notes. Colossians 3 verse 8 says this, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Here are the WMDs. These are the the words of mass destruction. Watch this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So God says in your relationships, you have to put a total ban on anger and rage. In other words, you never try to intimidate somebody with anger. You never make threats. First off, it doesn't work. But malice, look at malice. Malice means you say things that are intentionally designed to hurt. Like, you know what? You're just like your father. Or you're just like, well, that's typical of a, you label them. Or you belittle them. Or you psychologize. You know why you did that? You always do this because when back in your childhood, you have, by the way, no idea. You can't know anybody else's motivation because you don't even know your own half the time. <laughs> and it says no slander. Slander just means no insults, no belittling, no labeling. We fix the problem, not the blame. And that brings us to the sixth and final step. We focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Big difference, and you've got to grasp this. Some of you are ready to tune me out because you're like, you don't know. It's different. Reconciliation means the goal is to reestablish the relationship. It means you bury the hatchet. If it's with your ex, it doesn't necessarily mean you remarry. It just means you're at peace with each other. I've owned my part, and I'm not holding on to any hurt. You're not holding on to any hurt. We've buried the hatchet. We're, we're at peace. Reconciliation. Resolution means you resolve every disagreement. And can I just be honest? That ain't likely to happen. Because the truth is, there are some things in your family, in your marriage, in your business relationships, there's just some things you're just never going to agree on because we're all different. But listen to me. You can learn to disagree without being disagreeable. It's called maturity. It's called emotionally healthy. It's called Christ-likeness. To disagree without being disagreeable. You can have unity without uniformity. We're not, we're not the same. Watch this. We can actually walk hand in hand together without seeing eye to eye. Colleen and I, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of different things. <laughs> but we walk hand in hand. And now we're coming up on 23 years of marriage in a few weeks. You can have reconciliation without resolving every single issue. And here's a kind of the secret, by the way. What you'll discover is if you focus on repairing the relationship, a lot of times the issue becomes insignificant. Like how many of your biggest fights were over the smallest things? You've got to fix your focus on the relationship. That's what Jesus is getting at. So here's my challenge as your pastor who loves you. I love you. This is why I'm telling you this stuff. Would you be willing to commit to not being a peacekeeper, but being an active peacemaker in a world that is filled with conflict? Because our world is just nonstop conflict. Wars, divisions, there's racial conflict, there's political conflict. People just attacking each other nonstop every day. I know it's tiring, guys, but we, you guys know it. We live in a broken country with a broken government, with broken families, broken marriages, broken hearts. 
And so my challenge as your pastor this week is to do what God calls each of us to do in 2 Corinthians 5. Last verse, I'll end with this. He said, would you be a minister? Would you be a minister of reconciliation? Wait, Tim, you're the minister. That's like, you're a professional, man. You're a pastor. You do this stuff. No, 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 no. The Bible says Jesus Christ has given you and you and you and you and each of us a ministry called the ministry of reconciliation. God wants you to do for the people in your life what he's done for you. Look what it says. Paul writes, this is from God who, let's say it together, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In other words, we were estranged. We were at odds with God. And he made friends with us by sending Jesus to repair the relationship. And watch this. Now that we're reconciled to God, he gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. So if you're an authentic follower of Christ, you claim to be a man or woman of God, you've got a ministry. And it's not just volunteering at kids. (laughs) You have the ministry of reconciliation, of restoring broken relationships. Jesus says, I want you to do everything I just taught you to do. Verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. It's the whole cross. Not counting people's sins against them, and you shouldn't either. And he has committed to us the what? Message of reconciliation. You know that guy in Daytona should have done it spring break? (laughs) He should have had a different sign. He should have had a big sign that says, God has forgiven you and wants to be your friend. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he'd rather die than live without you. On the cross, Jesus breaks down the wall of hostility and says, I'm going to reconcile you to God. And now God, he says, I'm going to actually reconcile you with others. That's the cross. It's vertical, it's horizontal, and it all comes together in Christ. Corinthians finishes this way. You, therefore, you're Christ's ambassador. God's making his appeal through you. And so I implore you on Christ's behalf, say it together, be reconciled to God. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. You go out in society and say, man, God's done everything to repair my relationship with him. He paid for my sins. Can I tell you about God? My God, he's not mad at you. He's mad about you. (laughs) And so you be at peace with God and then you spread that peace to everybody else in your life. And if you do that, listen, if you do that, here's what the Bible promises. Crazy happy are the peacemakers for they will be called, said together, children of God. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads right now. Our campuses, if you're online, just bow your head with me. What's God saying to you? Do you need to plan a peace conference this week? Need to pick up the phone maybe in a relationship that's been strained or starved or just deeply broken. This is a moment really to ask God for courage. You can just pray, Jesus, I want to be a peacemaker. I want my prayers answered. I, I want to restore this relationship in my life that's broken. But God, I'm scared to death. Help me, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Help me. Maybe there's someone here who needs to make a list of the WMDs in your home. And say, you know what, from here on out, those words are off limits for us. We're going to have peace in this house. Or maybe you're here today and you've never made peace with God. (laughs) Listen, if you're distant from God 
and you ever never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you need peace with God so you can experience the peace of God. And it's just a moment to pray in your heart. You can pray something like this. Just say, Jesus Christ, I admit I've made mistakes and I need your forgiveness. I need your peace. The biggest mistake I've made is trying to run my life without you. I try to pretend like I'm God, but I'm, I'm sorry and I ask you to forgive me. Save me. Thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus, for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and now you're the king. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your love so I can share your peace and love with others in my life. Father, as pastor, I just pray for these precious, precious people. We're your children, Lord. I pray that you would empower us and help us this week to be ministers of reconciliation in a world filled with conflict. Wherever there's strife, Father, I ask that you would anoint your children to bring peace this week. And may our lives bring full glory to Jesus Christ. I ask this in the name of the Father, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said together, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.